Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. This is the Loving Liberty Show. And, man, it's good to be back behind the saddle here again, or behind the microphone, I guess, uh, on the, in the saddle. On the, anyway, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a terrible segue. Anyway, so let me, uh, let me give you a little travel log about uh, what I did for summer vacation. I'm sorry, but for Christmas vacation uh, by Brian Hyde. Okay, so uh, I had the chance over the last couple of weeks to travel to Germany and spend Christmas with my daughter and my son-in-law. And let me just start by telling you that what I'm talking about here is something that moved me considerably beyond my comfort zone. I know you're probably going to come away with the impression, man, you, your comfort zone is uh, pretty expansive there, Hyde. But um, one of the things that stresses me out most deeply is when I am in an unfamiliar city and I have to drive. I know, I'm probably the only one who feels this way, but man, it is tough for me. I stress, uh, one, of the, one of the most stressful situations I ever have found myself in was uh, many years ago when I was uh, doing a talk radio show uh, down in southern Utah. I had the opportunity to, to go attend the RAB convention, Radio and Broadcasters Convention, and I flew down to Los Angeles with my boss, and we grabbed a little rental car, a little Geo Metro. It was 1996, and that was a thing. And we drove to the L.A. Convention Center, and my boss bailed out and said, Okay, you take the car, you go meet everybody at the, uh, I think it was the Brown Derby, the original Brown Derby restaurant uh, there on Figueroa Street, and I'll see you later. And he was gone. And there I was, stuck in the middle of downtown L.A., not knowing my way around anywhere. And in fact, I was I was just right on that little verge of panic. Just, holy crap, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea, you know, what to do. The rest of our party, we had, you know, probably a, a half dozen other folks from our country, or a company rather, that were showing up for the, for the uh, convention. They hadn't flown in yet. So I just, I had time on my hands. And man, I, I, I remember feeling very lonely and very stressed just because it was so out of my comfort zone. And, and I, I felt those feelings or something akin to them for the first time here about uh, 10 days ago or a little bit more when I had the chance to fly over to Europe, particularly to fly to Amsterdam, rent a car, and then drive to Germany to go and meet with uh, my daughter and son-in-law. Now, I'm going to brag on my son-in-law here for just a moment because um, I want you to know how good of a young man this guy is. Amsterdam is about four hours away from where uh, my daughter and her husband live in Cuxhaven, Germany. And so he drove four hours one way just to meet up with me and my kids at the uh, Amsterdam airport and then let us follow him back to Germany. And I mean, this is after like 
21 hours without, uh, you know, any sleep. Um, you know, driving was it, it's scary enough to me to drive in a country where I don't speak the language. I'm not familiar with the customs or, you know, the traffic laws. It was pretty straightforward. And I'm going to tell you, the driving was a lot less stressful once we actually got on the road. It was it was easy enough to figure out. But the stress is real, especially when you're trying to stay awake. And I was, I mean, I drank a Red Bull to try to stay awake. And within a half hour, I, my eyes were drooping again. That was some hardcore jet lag that, uh, that had a hold of me. But we made it to Germany. We had a wonderful holiday, went to Christmas markets, toured uh, the, the harbor up around there, around Cuxhaven, uh, went to the beach and, and walked a lot, ate healthier than I've eaten in a long time. I'm going to brag a little bit. I dropped 10 pounds. While I was in Germany. And I mean, I, I had, you know, there were treats. There was lots of great chocolates and, and uh, you know, Christmas goodies and what have you. But what I found myself doing, in addition to walking just about everywhere that we went, I found myself eating smaller portions. Some of the food was a little bit unfamiliar. A lot of good, uh, you know, authentic German food. But I ate less. I moved around more. And uh, lo and behold, man, I came home, my clothes were fitting better. Maybe on to something here. We'll see if I can keep from undoing this this trend with you know, my good old-fashioned uh, unhealthy American eating. So here are a couple of observations that I had um, in, in traveling to Germany. This is the first time I've ever been to Europe. And the first thing I have to say is, man, what a beautiful, beautiful area. Both the Netherlands as well as northern Germany. Um, it's, they're, they're very beautiful, very livable societies, clean. Um, everything is taken care of. You just you don't see a lot of um, decay and rot. Now, something else that kind of jumped out at me was um, people are, are a little more simple in, in their lifestyles. The, uh, for instance, my daughter and her husband have a clothes washer. They don't have a dryer. And I guess having a clothes dryer is a rarity. In fact, most of their appliances were were smaller, more efficient, even though they live in a a fairly nice home. I think it's like a three or four bedroom home that, uh, you know, it's not like they're in a tiny little apartment and therefore it has to be all this efficiency, you know, kind of uh, kind of appliances. They take their recycling very seriously. Everything had to be separated, papers and plastics and so forth. And the garbage men were, I guess, very particular because we came back one day and one of their plastic bags was just sitting right there in front of their driveway. And the message was the garbage men, for whatever reason, saw something in the bag that they didn't like and they wouldn't take it. So I guess you you have a do-over. You have to try it again. See if you can get it right next time. Let's see. Oh, this was this was something that I found particularly interesting. In the time that I was in the Netherlands and and Germany, but I'm I'm going to particularly, since I spent most of that time in Germany, I saw exactly one police car. In fact, those were the only police officers I saw the entire time that I was there. And I just happened to be walking around the harbor there at Cuxhaven and a police car just happened to drive by the Polizei, you know, just were cruising by. Driving on the the highways, I drove on the Autobahn, yeah, survived, lived to tell about it. I can say this, uh, the the drivers in Europe, I think uh, in in some ways, uh, they are are more responsible 
<laughs> or at least more aware than uh, many of their American counterparts. You don't see left lane campers, especially on the Audubon. If you're going to pass somebody, you pass and you get your butt back over to the right, and it just works beautifully. It actually made driving there a lot easier than I thought it would be. There was no sense of entitlement and no sense of, you know, you know, I, how dare you try to, you know, get into the same lane that I'm in, you know, and, and everything becomes competitive. I see that a lot, particularly around the part of Utah that I live in. I just thought that was odd, though, that uh, the police presence was so minimal. Now, I understand there are some areas that have red light cameras, and if you uh, enter the intersection or you try to turn right on red, it'll take your picture. It'll send you a ticket. But it was strange, you know, compared with, um, we just get used to seeing, you know, highway patrol cars here. They're doing speed enforcement there. and uh, It just, the, the police presence was very, very understated. And I thought that was kind of nice. Overall, I had to admit that there are a lot of things that they are doing that make for a very nice, livable society. I've never seen so many people in my life using bicycles. Rain or shine, cold or not, people just bundle up, get on their bikes, and away they would go. Or they would walk. Cars were almost uniformly very, very small or very fuel efficient. Uh, the first time I gassed up, I kind of got the, the understanding of why that is. It was, uh, I think I paid about 50 bucks to fill up a small four-door economy car. You know, we had rented the, we had rented a little uh, Renault something, I don't know, it's a number, but a little, just a little uh, hatchback, you know, four-door compact sedan that, uh, that would give us a chance to, to load up our luggage and ourselves and, and get where we needed to go. Nothing frivolous, but when you're charging, you know, a buck seventy-six a liter for gasoline, that stuff adds up quickly. My my son-in-law has a little BMW. It was almost uh, seventy-five or eighty euro just to fill that up from empty. Very expensive. I saw exactly one pickup truck my entire time in Germany. One. By the way, it was a Dodge Ram. So if you're if you're a Dodge fan, you know, you can celebrate. They, they were representing in the fatherland for you, but holy cow. You'd see smaller, um, you know, like, well, I, I shouldn't say smaller. The closest thing to a full-size car you might see would be a Mercedes or an Audi. And it was crazy how many of them had a small trailer hitch attached to them. I guess you can, you can pull your trailer or your camper or whatever you're going to with that. Lots of vans, no pickups. I guess I'll have to get to the food a little bit later, but... Uh, it was a very interesting experience, and i got to tell you, in spite of some of the governmental controls that they have there, it's a very pleasant place to be. Take that for what it's worth. All right, we are back. This is Loving Liberty. By the way, shout out to our friends listening on KTalk 1640 AM in Salt Lake City. Thanks so much for uh, enjoying uh, not just this program, but other shows on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 
All right, 801-331-8113. I guess just uh, just a couple final thoughts on my travel log. Yeah, I went to Germany, spent Christmas there. The Christmas markets, by the way, are truly amazing. I, I grew up in Salt Lake City with a, a very dear friend whose parents had, uh, I guess they had actually escaped from East Germany. And so the, the German influence in their home at Christmas time was, I thought, one of the coolest things, the, the Christmas decorations, the candies. They just they took their Christmas very seriously. And uh, that was that was kind of the experience that we had in visiting there in, in Cuxhaven. Um, got to see a couple of really interesting museums and just a lot of time spent uh, down there on the beachfront. Now, look, if this is like, well, you were on the beachfront. Wow, that must have been like Christmas in Hawaii. Yeah, we, we said Melikalikimaka, but uh, I'm telling you, that wind coming off the North Sea. Wow. Cold, cold stuff. And yet I came away with this appreciation for the, the people who settled in those areas, who built the harbors and built the docks and built the dikes and the seawalls and everything that would make these livable areas. They had to be a hardy people. Because in that kind of cold, especially in the winter, to, to go out there on the open sea and to fish or do whatever it is they were doing to make a living and then come home, um, man, I'm telling you, they, they had to be a tough, tough people. And one of the things that, that struck me, too, was how absolutely um, orderly. Everything was. And I don't mean in the sense that, uh, you know, someone was there clicking their heels and pointing and, you know, whistling at you hey, you do this and do that. Right. Uh, you didn't you didn't have the sense that there was somebody watching and just, you know, ready to correct your every move. It was more like people just took care of their stuff. I mean, the the, the gardens were, were very neat. I mean, I've, I, you know. Here I go. I'm going to stereotype. I've, I've heard of that Teutonic sense of order that uh, that people in Germany and the Germanic people have, have enjoyed. Um, but, man, people took care of their stuff. It was very impressive. And green moss growing on everything because of the moist climate. Um, just an absolutely fascinating opportunity. Um, I saw... You know, that people are much the same as they are here. Very few people seem to be spending a lot of time talking about politics. Now, granted, we didn't go there to have a political Christmas in Germany. We just went there to have fun. But we met a number of my daughter and her husband's friends. And, um, you know, politics just wasn't a big deal of, of what they talked about. I thought maybe that was a good thing. They seem to have a, a simpler, in many ways, kind of lifestyle. But uh, all in all, it was it was really cool. The food was was very good, um, rich, good stuff. But man, I'll tell you, the, the Germans they they know how to they know how to put on a good meal. So thus endeth my travel log. It was a great experience. Um, it was good to come back. I don't know if it was just because of the, the far, how far north we were. Uh, the sun would set at about 4 o'clock each day. Now, granted, this is the shortest time of the year, but I'm not kidding. At 4 o'clock, it was clear. The day is over. It's done. It's getting dark. And, and it makes for some long, dark nights. But the history, oh, my word. 
I want to go back because I felt like uh, even even though we spent some time appreciating and learning about the history of some of the places that we were visiting. I mean, I, I walked into a castle uh, that they had started building in, in the, thir- the 1300s. I'm looking at hewn wooden beams that were cut back in the 1300s. Just such a sense of history. Still, when I got home, I got to tell you, there, there's a feeling that uh, with, with all of our faults and with whatever is going on here in America that, that can make things uh, challenging. There, there's something, there, there is a different feel about this land, not because of its government, but because of the people, the traditions. I choose to believe it's, it's the principles on which it was founded. We're going to delve into that a little bit right now. One of the commentaries that I saw that really caught my attention was one by Jacob Hornberger that was published back on Christmas Eve. And it's just simply God's way or Caesar's way. And I think that this is a pretty legitimate battle that a lot of people find themselves trying to sort out in their own hearts right now. Here's how Jacob Hornberger puts it. He says, when God vested man with free will, he knew that when it came to charity, some people would choose not to help others in need. But that's the essence of freedom and free will. The right to either say yes or no when it comes to helping others. If God had forced people to make the right decision with respect to charity, then the gift of free will would obviously have been meaningless. So he says, in making this gift, God obviously trusted people with a vast amount of freedom. If everyone used such freedom to reject helping others in need, that would mean that those in need would go without help. Investing man with free will, he says, God took a big chance. Enter Caesar, in other words, the federal government. Caesar concluded that God made a big mistake in trusting people with so much freedom. That's why Caesar enacted Social Security, because he knew that younger people could never be trusted to take care of their parents or grandparents when the need arose. Oh, sure, God commanded people to honor their father and their mother, but under God's way, people were free to reject the commandment, and Caesar concluded that many would. Therefore, Caesar entered the process by simply forcing people to comply with God's commandment. And yes, Social Security is based on force, not voluntary choice. Hornberger says the government uses the coercive process of taxation to take money from those who are younger and then gives it to people who are older after deducting a large sum of money to pay the salaries and other expenses to perform this service. If someone refuses to pay his taxes, we all know what government does to him. There's nothing voluntary about paying taxes. So he says, under Social Security, Caesar tells the people that they are being good, caring, and compassionate when they pay their taxes, because the money is being sent to their parents, grandparents, and others in need. Also considered good, caring, and compassionate are the IRS agents who collect the taxes and the bureaucrats within the Social Security Administration who make the disbursements to seniors. But listen to this. Jacob Hornberger says, but God does not make mistakes. Investing man with free will, he wanted younger people to have the opportunity to make this choice and all other choices relating to charity. He knew that he was taking a chance that many people would say no. God was willing to take that chance. God wanted people to have sometimes to, to sometimes struggle over whether to help another person in need. 
That's the way the conscience, which God also vested in man, is strengthened. Should I help that person or not? How much money should I donate to that cause? Should I offer my services instead of money? Through the process of choosing, the conscience is strengthened. Indeed, sometimes it's through making a long series of bad choices that a person in the depths of despair finds God. When it comes to helping others, God's way is based on freedom of choice. Caesar's way is based on force. And Hornberger finishes with this question. Under what moral authority has Caesar denigrated and destroyed God's way? It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. But it's a question I wish that more people would ask themselves. I want to live in a society where charity and and concern for others are the norm. But I want to live in a society where those are the kind of things that people freely choose because they love their fellow man or because they realize that this brings satisfaction to me to be able to help and to return, you know, in part, whatever, whatever I've been blessed with. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. And uh, lines are open, 801-331-8113. Happy New Year, by the way. Can you believe 2020's here? Yeah. And what a crazy year we have ahead of us. I want to say that I'm optimistic. I I think in many ways this year could exceed our expectations, but uh, that could swing both. That's a double-edged sword. It could exceed our expectations in how utterly crazy it gets, or things could actually get better. In fact, I had a couple of different stories ahead of me. I may save this one for tomorrow, the 20 biggest advances in technology over the last 20 years. Do you remember we just we went through Y2K 20 years ago? And while it seems like, it, well, man, that does seem like it was a while back. When you see it spelled out, all the different uh, technological advances that came in on cat's feet. OK, they came incrementally. It's not like, bam, they're all here and we're just looking around and wonder, how do we use all this stuff? It's stuff that has gradually fallen into place. But uh, the bottom line is this. Despite what you may read in the papers or see on TV, uh, human beings are continuing to reach new heights of prosperity. And there is a lot of good news. Now, the other article I have in front of me, the one that I'm going to share with you here, is there are also a number of completely insane, irrational things that millions of Americans believe as we enter the 2020s. This is from naturalnews.com, an article by Mike Adams who says the 2020s may one day be called the decade of insanity, given all the insane things believed by a surprisingly large number of people. He says the frantic beliefs of these people are, of course, driving them to the brink of insanity. We see this with Greta Thunberg and with climate change lunatics who are all convinced the world will literally be destroyed in 10 years if we don't stop using fossil fuels. And when the masses can be convinced that they're all going to die they tend to become rather crazed and irrational. And that's where we are today in America. No longer the land of the free, but rather the cesspool of the insane. 
led by the psychoterrorism organizations known as CNN, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. They've all abandoned journalism, and they now prioritize carrying out acts of psychological terrorism, or what he calls journo-terrorism, against the American people. And you can see a little bit of his uh, particular slant on things coming through here. He says, so now we launched the decade of the 2020s as a nation that's largely run by criminals and traitors, most of Congress and the bureaucracy, where the university students are taught by his words, libtard nut jobs pretending to be professors, where investors think the stock market will never suffer a correction again, and where CNN literally reports that men can get pregnant and give birth to human babies, some of whom the left says should probably be murdered in the name of women's rights. In other words, abortion. He says, we are now living in the age of insanity, and it's not looking any better for 2020 and beyond. So here's a list of 10 totally insane things that millions of Americans believe right now as we enter this decade of insanity. Now, he says, given all the 5G radiation, brain damaging fluoride in the water, heavy metals in the food and hormones in food packaging, it's certain that the insanity is only going to get worse. So buckle up and prepare for life in a mad, mad world. Ready for this? Insane belief number one. Men can become women by wishing it so. Nearly all leftists literally believe there are more than two genders, and that a person of one gender can magically transform into a completely different gender just by wishing. Yes, leftists now believe that men can get pregnant and have babies, and children are being taught that there are an infinite number of genders when in reality there are only two. Now, by the same token, children are also being taught that getting the right answer on a test question isn't important anymore. It's how you feel about your answer that's the new reality. Insane belief number two, stock market crashes are a thing of the past. Now, he says this belief afflicts nearly all of the masses. The, the oblivious real, retail investors who stupidly think their pension funds and mutual fund investments will keep growing forever with no retractions, corrections, or crashes. So they buy and buy even as we are in such overbought territory that all the professional investors are selling everything and heading into their cabins in the woods with bars of gold. In 2020, the typical American is now in full FOMO mode, fear of missing out, and almost fanatically plunging all assets into the stock market in a desperate effort to chase the irrational exuberance to its final disastrous end. He says, when the day of reckoning comes for these markets, the masses will be destroyed. But if the Fed plays along with more money creation and spontaneous liquidity, that day may yet be delayed until perhaps 2021 or not. For insane belief number three, the earth will be destroyed in 10 years if we don't stop using fossil fuels. Now, of course, AOC reminds us that we have a clinically retarded lunatic as a, as a member of Congress, he says, and she quite literally believes the entire planet will cease to exist in just 10 years if we don't immediately stop burning fossil fuels. But she's not alone. The incessant fear-mongering of the journal-terrorism media has managed to transform all sorts of previously rational people into raving climate lunatics, who, when they speak, sound dumber than dirt. He says, if, I were to, if, if we were to halt the use of fossil fuels, of course the global food supply would almost immediately collapse, leading to mass starvation, 
disease, and a population implosion. Now, perhaps this is what the globalists really want, it seems, since they keep demanding it at every turn. But what's new in all this is the fact that climate lunatics are now terrorizing children. They're holding them up as warriors to fight for climate justice, when in reality they're just terrorized, abused young people who will one day come to harshly resent how they were exploited and psychologically terrorized by left-wing lunatics for political gain. Insane belief number four, a human baby that's born alive isn't really alive until the mother decides she wants to keep it. He says, according to the same leftist lunatics who have decided that men can somehow become women by wishing for a sex change, human babies that are born alive and healthy aren't really alive until the mother decides she wants to keep that baby. Until that moment comes, the mother, the doctor, and apparently anyone in the room with a baseball bat can legally murder that child in the name of progressivism. Leftists insist. This is the new culture of the mainstream left, infanticide and violence against, violence against human babies, celebrated and applauded by all Democrats. Now, he says, and they justify it all by claiming Trump is bad, therefore murdering babies makes it all even, somehow. Yes, he says it's insane, but this is how the left thinks. And it brings up the question, if these people are willing to murder their own children, do you really think they'll hesitate to murder their political opponents if given the opportunity? Keep that in mind the next time some baby-killing governor, Northam anyone, announces he's coming for your guns. Heck, they probably need your guns to help them execute all the children they plan to kill in the hospitals, while Michelle Wolf celebrates how killing babies makes her feel like God. Insane belief number five, flat earth. Yes, in the year 2020, we still have millions of Americans who quite literally believe the earth is flat, like a disc floating in space. Now, they also believe the sun and moon are discs and that satellites don't exist and that gravity isn't real. And they are rather fanatical about these beliefs, convincing themselves that there is a global conspiracy to silence the truth about the flat earth in order to prevent humans from discovering the edges or you can step off into outer space or something. Now, the author here says, I recently posted a detailed science article explaining what flat earthers get wrong about gravity and elliptical orbits, but it doesn't matter what you say to them. They're happy to redefine Kepler's laws of motion or Newton's laws or Einstein's equations or whatever it takes to pretend the Earth is a flat disk and all spaceflight was faked on a green screen stage in Hollywood. But he says at least the flat earthers aren't fascists who demand we give up combustion engines or something like AOC. Mostly the flat earth movement is all about a thought experiment. But they aren't dangerous like the leftists who want to murder children and collapse entire economies. If we had flat earthers in Congress instead of climate lunatics, we'd actually be better off, come to think of it. And elections would be far more entertaining. Insane belief number six. Yeah, we'll do this one before the break. All vaccines are safe because somebody on the news said so. He says it's amazing how many people still believe vaccines are safe, even when the federal government itself pushes vaccine damage statistics, uh, publishes vaccine damage statistics and details of the billions of dollars in payouts made to the families of vaccine damaged children. And there's a web address where you can actually go to see this data yourself. 
Yes, he says vaccines kill children and adults, too. Vaccines use toxic ingredients. They contain genetically modified DNA of aborted humans who were altered to activate cancer genes. Yes, the CDC openly admits vaccines contain neurotoxic substances. There is no debate that vaccines carry risk of harm and manage to harm a great number of children each year. Yet he says many adults consider themselves to be informed, yet have no clue of this reality. That's because anyone who talks about vaccine safety is immediately deplatformed from all the major tech platforms. All right, this is probably a good time to go to break. We'll come back with more of the irrational things millions of Americans believe, just the other side of these messages. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm sharing with you an article from naturalnews.com. Ten insane, completely irrational things millions of Americans believe. It's by Mike Adams. Yeah, he gets a little bit uh, pejorative here, but uh, you know, it's it's his opinion. But some of these are really, uh, some of these are pretty interesting, and I don't necessarily disagree. Um, you know, the the thing about uh, vaccines. Uh, All vaccines are safe because somebody on the news said so. It's sure a polarizing issue, but he's not wrong when he points out. No, there's actually um, there there is uh, there are payouts that are made to families of vaccine damaged children. The most likely answer you're going to get if somebody's being truthful. Are there risks? Are there kids who are actually damaged by by vaccines? And, And an honest nurse or doctor or researcher will tell you, yes, it does happen. But the percentage of people that are affected like this is small enough that we feel like the risk is worth it. And there's the key word, risk. So there is risk. I would just argue in the sake of, for the sake of personal freedom. That's a risk that needs to be decided on by the person who's assuming that risk. The parent. Mitigate the risks how you can, but let's not be using, uh, let's not be using you know, government to try to force people one way or the other. All right, moving on. Insane belief number seven. The mainstream media tells the truth, or at least tries to. Yeah, my eyes rolled as well. Mike Adams says, of all the really stupid beliefs held by modern Americans, the belief that the mainstream media is even attempting to tell the truth is among the most insane. It's not just that CNN, the New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC, etc. get every major story wrong. It's the fact that they intend to lie to their audiences. For years, they've peddled false conspiracies about Russia and election meddling, always running cover for Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, and the deep state, while knowingly publishing damned lies about Trump and his supporters. The corporate media in America is, plainly stated, openly engaged in criminal treason against the United States of America. And yet there are still a shrinking number of morons who can somehow watch CNN's Brian Stetler and not laugh out loud or puke all over themselves. Now, he says, I'm not sure which is shrinking faster, CNN's audience or the brains of the remaining few who still watch CNN. Dang. Easy there, bro. Insane belief number eight, food isn't medicine and real medicine can only be acquired from pharmacies. This was kind of a curious one. He says, despite all the remarkable research about healing foods, nutrients, disease prevention, superfoods, and miraculous food cures, 
there are still people, many of them are doctors, who think the only real medicine comes from a pharmacy. Somehow we are entering the decade of 2020 while millions of people still carry a belief system from the 1950s when it was widely believed there were just four vitamins and food was thought to be useless in promoting good health. Well, now, of course, we know the truth. Pharmaceuticals are fake medicine and food is the real medicine. If you're not preventing disease and healing yourself through food, you're not really up to speed on what modern science has documented about food as medicine. Insane belief number nine. All white people are evil and the only experts in the world are children. Now, Mike Adams says this is a twofer. The insane delusional left has now convinced millions of people that all white people are evil. But also children are the new experts on things like gun control and climate change. Yep. Adults are stupid and children have all the answers. Is this a freaking Disney movie? No, it's the new narrative of the retarded left, which thinks a 16-year-old girl whose mother claims she can literally see carbon dioxide and invisible gas is now a more credible expert than a 30-year scientist and expert in atmospheric chemistry. And if you put up a poster that says, it's okay to be white, you are immediately accused of hate crimes. Yes, it's okay to be black and it's okay to be brown, but it's never okay to be white in today's insane progressive society, defined by left-wing bigotry, racism, and hate. And if you're Asian, the entire left-wing university system will brazenly discriminate against you for being too smart, making sure they can usher in a bunch of unqualified minorities who can't compete with Asians when it comes to cognitive tests. So they're given bonus points for social justice, whatever that means. As we enter the 2020s, he says, I do want to welcome all the Asians to the club where we are all called racist by the very libtard lunatics whose policies are by definition the most racist of all. Just remember, if you don't agree with everything a leftist says, you are engaged in hate speech. Yeah, he's laying it on pretty thick, but we're we're at the final. This is number 10, insane belief. The world as you know it is sustainable and normal and nothing will collapse because that's unimaginable. Finally, he says the really big false belief is summarized by the phrase normalcy bias. People think the world will always operate as it does now because that's all they know. They're incapable of imagining anything else, such as a grid-down collapse, an economic collapse, World War III, a civil war on the streets of America, a food collapse followed by mass starvation, visitation by aliens, and so on. So they lead their pointless lives as sheeple living out some sort of mad experiment in shared insanity, oblivious to the reality that almost everything they think is permanent is actually headed for collapse. Much of what currently functions in the world is entirely unsustainable, and that means it must come to an end. Endless money creation must come to an end. Government debt spending must come to an end. The loss of fossil water to irrigate food crops must come to an end. The ecological destruction of the planet will eventually collapse the food supply on which we depend. The pensions will collapse once the market corrects. The dollar will eventually be abandoned as a failed fiat currency. Nuclear power plants will eventually fail and melt down, perhaps following a severe earthquake that already places multiple nuke plants in California in the direct line of fire. You get the point. 
He says, the history of our world has rarely seen a long run of peace and prosperity as the one that uh, we are currently experiencing. Most of human history has been punctuated by genocide, democide, world wars, and economic collapse. The fool thinks that's all history now. And modern humans have finally figured it all out, and the wise person knows history repeats itself. Now, for all the name-calling that our author has been engaging in, this is the point where I have to say, here's where he brings it home. Because he says, the fourth turning isn't a myth, it is a cycle. There's nothing new under the sun, my friends. And he says, all the stupid things humans did in the past are about to be magnified in the present. Because humans are more stupid today than ever before. This is partially thanks to Google, which is now in the business of suppressing human knowledge and dumbing down the masses. But it's also the fault of the masses who decided the Internet was invented to deliver porn instead of wisdom. Yes, he says, we're fighting against all this with the upcoming launch of our own search engine launching in January, focusing on health and wellness content. But that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of idiocy that now defines those who both use and run Google, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. So Mike Adams then asks the question. Will America survive past 2025 as it is structured now? You might want to grab a chair here for his answer. He says, it is my belief that America as we know it will not survive beyond 2025, which means these are the in the last five years of a world structured as normal, at least as you and I have come to know it. Now, he says, I hope I'm wrong, but I fear I'm right. As I was right about the 2000 dot com crash, the 2008 subprime housing bubble crash, the election of Trump, the criminality of Obama, the false flag operations of the FBI and a hundred other accurate predictions I've made over the last two decades. He says, believe what you wish. Just know that the more closely your beliefs are aligned with reality, the better chance you have at surviving what's coming. Those who believe nonsensical things won't fare as well as reality smacks them hard. So that's not exactly the uh, cheerful pat on the back and, you know, a hug around the shoulder as we send you off into 2020 to face the new year. And if you can get past the name calling, I, you know, having been a red meat thrower myself, I understand why he's saying it the way he's saying it. I just would, would not choose to do it that way myself. I think we have a very interesting year ahead of us. And I mean that in a good way, as well as I think there's potentially some pretty ugly stuff coming as well. So what can you and I do? I would say that among the most productive things that we can do with our time are to, number one, know who you are, know what you stand for. And insofar as you uh, are able to, to borrow a phrase from my friend Joe Carey, Get right with God and maybe try being a little kinder to one another. Whatever else happens, if you're doing that, you can at least rest assured you're not contributing to uh, any of the negative vibes. And that is something. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 